Chapter Six. All that day, Stig sat, his work forgotten, looking out across the clearing, waiting for wife to come back. But she didn't. That night, Hilsa made supper, a good supper, for wife had taught her well how to cook. Hilsa was twelve now and big. Reaching to her father's shoulder, a credit to her mother's training, thought Stig proudly, as all the children were, the older ones looking after the younger ones, just as wife had taught them to, Hilsa taking special care of the new baby, and everybody helping with something, even the youngest, not counting the brand new baby, of course. Their mother was gone off on business, Stig told them, so that they wouldn't fuss. And they didn't, for a while. Wife had gone into the woods before alone and not come back all day. But the day passed, and night came, and the children began to grow fretful. How much longer, father? Hilsa asked him, handing him his supper. I don't rightly know. Stig took his plate, set it aside. But the business must be very important, for your mother wouldn't leave us lightly. That I do know. The children took their meal inside around the table that Stig had built for them. But Stig sat out on the stoop, as he always had, staring out across the clearing. Every now and again, he'd walk slowly across it, and stare out to the left. Down the trail, then go back to take his seat on the step. Then he even stopped doing that, but just sat, looking down at his boots. When the hoot owl flew by overhead, Stig didn't even notice, and his plate remained untouched. The children were late getting to sleep. One or two of them had begun to cry for the wife, especially Horvin, and it was all Stig and Hilsa could do to comfort them. When at last they were quiet, Stig went to sit for a bit by the hearth, rocking himself and looking at wife's empty chair. Horvin crept down the ladder from the loft and ran to his knee. Horvin. The sixth child, born in the thunderstorm, while the others took completely after Stig, showing no sign of the wife in them either inside or out. This child, his father would swear, had a pinch of his mother's salt in him, with a generous dose of pepper common to neither parent. It's it, isn't it, father? He cried, jabbing his finger toward the new baby in the cradle beside the hearth. She's gone because of it. Hush now, Stig, holding Horvin tightly to his chest, patted his golden head. Not it, he said absently. Him. Then realizing, he held Horvin out at arm's length. Why? Whatever makes you say that? I heard. You told mother. Horvin began to cry. 
Dig pulled him close again. There, there, he said. It's not true. It were only a joke, and your mother knowed it. She's gone off in business, just as I said. She'll be back, you see. Say, do you remember the story she told us about the rains that washed the whole town away? Before the boy could answer, Stig lifted him onto his knees and started to tell the tale of the Skilly Hills, word for word, as near in the way of the wife as he could. Horvin resisted, but at last his eyes closed. Stig carried him up to bed and laid him down on the crowded floor. He stood in the darkness of the loft, looking around at all the golden heads, from aged twelve down to three, and sighed. Had he driven the wife away? He'd told Horvin not. And he was surely right, for he was coming to think that she'd gone off for a reason known only to herself. Good as she'd always been, he had to admit that she'd always been close. But that was as maybe. Whatever happens, he told himself stoutly, I'll not hear bad of her. She were a good woman and a wonderful wife. Before he lay down to sleep in the great wide bed, he lit a lamp and hung it in the window beside the door. The night after he did the same, and the next, and the next. But the wife didn't come back. Every night when he came home, things had gotten worse. Much as the wife had trained the children to be independent, things grew daily more and more out of hand. They began to fight and to sulk about doing their chores, and it was more than Hilsa and Stig could do to get them all washed and ready for bed at night. They're missing mother, Hilsa said. And they're not getting enough to eat, Stig said. Poor children! I can't guess how wife managed to make the food go around, but somehow it doesn't any more. And how she managed to cope with the bumps and scrapes and sneezles and the washing and the ironing and the darning and the cleaning, I'll never know. He ruffled Hilsa's hair. Go to bed. You look tired out. Father, Hilsa put her hand on her father's arm. Will she never come back? I'm sure she will, Stig said. But truth to tell, he was beginning to wonder. He was also beginning to worry if something bad had happened to her. The comfort he took was in the pendant hanging from the baby's cradle. It were as though she'd tried to tell him something by leaving it, but he couldn't quite see what. But then she'd always been too deep for him. That night, as he went to bed, he worried also about his family. They were becoming too much for him. In no time, they'd have outgrown the hut, and then what would he do? And what would they be when they grew up? He sighed and pulled the covers up to his chin. He would have to face that problem soon. The day after that, 
It was time for him to go down into the town. You stay home today, he told Stock. Help your sister, he said. She's sorely in need of it. He left Hilsa with the new baby, and a list of chores for the rest to do to keep them out of mischief. At last, he set off for the town. Down below, they said to him, Whatever is the matter, Stig? We can usually hear you coming for miles. But today you steal down on us like the mountain mist. What has happened to your song? Stig leaned sadly on his cart. We have another child and... Another child? And wives disappeared, he said. Disappeared? Heavens! Oh, you poor, poor man! Has she had an accident, do you think? The mountain can be an uncertain place, said Bok. I don't know, Stig answered him. I hope not. I woke up the day the baby arrived to find her gone. Will she be back, do you think? asked someone. Stig spread his great hands. I don't know. I really don't know. But I'm coming to fear not, somehow. Easy come, easy go, somebody muttered. Stig stared about him miserably. Kind as they had been to wife, the townswomen had never really taken to her. A foreigner born, a foreigner she'd stayed, and they'd never asked her down to wives' suppers or stitching bees and such like, not after the first year or so. I don't gossip, you see, my dear Stig, the wife had told him. Don't mind them, they don't know any better, and they've been as kind to me as they can possibly be. For wife's sake, Stig stood there, pretending he hadn't heard. Said one townswoman, Whatever are you going to do? Stig ruffled up his hair. I don't know. The children are growing and growing, and already the hut's too small for them, and there's not enough food to go around. I don't know how the wife managed these past years. Stig, one woman cried, you just bring those dears down here and we'll take care of them. Oh, but I couldn't, Stig said. I'm their father. They need me. And what if the wife came back? Fathers are all very well, another said. But children of that age need a mother more. And if the wife comes back, you could say we were looking after them temporary and take them up the mountain again. Meister Cross spoke up. Stig, I'm not so young as I used to be, and I could do with a handy lad to help dig taters and seed the cabbages. Young Stock looks strong enough to me. Mrs. Craw would be only too glad to make over some of my old hand-me-downs for him and knit him a pair of socks and set out an extra place for him at our table. But he's my right hand, Meister Craw, and a fine woodcutter he'll be. That's as maybe. But from what I've seen of the lad, he looks none too happy about it. He's much more comfortable grubbing about in the soil. Many's the time when you've been in the wild green man 
I'd given him a penny for picking caterpillars off me lettuces. Now, what is more, I've a spare parcel of land down the bottom of town. It's good, fine ground, rich and well-tilled, and it's awaiting a lad that's of a mind to marry one day. If he comes to stay with me, it's not every young lad as could boast of a living like that. What do you say, Stig? Before Stig could answer, a woman called out. How about Widow Cray, that's been bedridden these past three years, she said. That hilser of yours is a fine bonny lass that could look after her in return for bed and board. And that cottage would make a fine inheritance for a young girl of marriageable age. If she worked for Widow Cray five days a week, she could come up and see you on the other two. What do you say, Stig? Practically scratching his head off by now, Stig looked at Meister Craw and the woman, then around at the rest of them. They all looked eager enough and no mistake. Children were scarce around Platt just then, you see. But while Stig should have felt glad that the children were being offered good homes down in the town, where they would be properly clothed and fed and taught the decent way to live, yet he felt sad, too, for he loved every one of them, and enjoyed their help and company. And then there was the baby. Stig would miss that one the most, for he reminded him so much of the wife. But how could Stig stand in the baby's way when such a grand future awaited him down in the town? He sighed and said, I'll bring them down tomorrow. Then he went back up the mountainside, singing a tune of sorts. That night, he talked to Hilsa and Stock when the others had gone to bed. Stock looked unhappy. I don't want to leave you, father. I want to stay here and help you, he said. But Stig, watching the boy's eyes at the mention of the land, had seen the gleam in them. You're a good lad, and loyal, and well-meaning. But you'd be better off down there, and Hilsa too, with all the rest. No, father, Hilsa said. I can't leave you. Who'll cook for you, and clean for you, and mend your clothes that you're always making holes in? I'd rather be here, looking after you, than down there. Stig hugged her to him. Lass, he said, you're growing faster than honeysuckle. In no time you'll have a mind to wed. Then where will I be? He smiled. Right back where I was before the wife came, and I was right enough then. The smile wobbled a bit, then righted itself. The idea of being alone in the hut again seemed intolerable. But he'd have to get used to it, for the children's sake. That widow Cray, he said, needs someone like you to care for her. And think, you can keep an eye on your brothers and sisters for me, like. Five days a week only, and you can come back up here the other two, if you've a mind. Please, Hilsa. It pains me as much as you, but up here is no life for a young girl. So what do you say? Oh, father, Hilsa cried, and laying her hand on her father's chest, she wept. 
Down the children went the next day. Four boys and five girls, scrubbed and shining, their clothes neatly patched, their hair brushed and braided, and on their best behavior. No crying, no sulking, and no feeling sorry for yourselves, or no one will take you, Hilsa had told them, not least herself. When at last it was time to go, thanks to Hilsa, the younger ones were all cheered up, even excited, for they loved to visit the town, and the thought of actually living down there was beginning to sound like fun. Even Horvin did a hop and a skip or two, and shouted down over the treetops with the rest to hear the echoes shatter and die away. The new baby lay chuckling and gurgling in the wife's crocheted blanket on top of the cart, while the rest scampered around Stig's heels, running on ahead and back again. When they arrived, Hilsa bade her father goodbye and went off to Widow Cray's cottage. Goodbye, Hilsa, Stig called after her. See you in three days' time. Stock embraced Stig and went off down the street with Meister Craw, trying not to look too eager about it, Stig suspected. As for the rest, they were snatched up, even fought over, and in no time were gone to new homes that wanted for children, with scarcely time for a farewell to Stig. All of them, that is, save for the baby, still lying in the cart. For while the women had fought for a look at him, thinking, as Stig had thought, that the new baby would be the best prize, they had each no sooner pulled aside the cover and seen his face than they'd fought to back off again. And though a number of the women were left empty-handed, they went off down the street, every one of them, looking anywhere but in the baby's direction. One woman, though, desperate enough for a child of her own, did turn back and offer half-heartedly to take him. Stig looked down at the baby in the cart and ruffled up his own hair. Then he leaned over picked up the tiny, wriggling thing in his great strong arms and held it to him. So like the wife. Down inside the blanket, next to the baby's chest, lay the wife's room. Thank you, but this one just came for the ride. At this, as though he had understood, the new baby chuckled loudly. Gah! he gurgled, and landed a tiny, bony fist right in his father's eye. Gum, Oh, the woman said, and went away, leaving Stig standing with the baby by the cart. Well, Stig said to the baby, if that's the way they feel. As for you, if you insist, gom it is. Gom Gobblechuck. Tis a fine name, and it suits you well, happy fellow that you are, laughing and chuckling all the while. It fair does my heart good to hear you. Come on, Gom, let's get ourselves back home. 
Stig settled Gom back into the cart. And hefting the shafts with a long haul up the trail, he moved at a brisk pace, singing loudly all the way. Summer's gone, a bright and short-lived bubble. The cattle huddle in their hay-warm stalls. Chill mists wilt the cornfields' brittle stubble. And seasoned logs lie tidy by the walls. Sheep crop close the autumn fallow. Smoke coils up from every homely hearth. Gone are swift and tiny darting swallow. And badger, fox, and vole are gone to earth. While way up high by wind-scored rock and pine, Together stig and calm sit snug and warm, And though around them shrill gales scream and whine, There they'll stay content and safe from harm. Time passed. Down in the town, Gom's brothers and sisters grew, tall and broad as their father had before them, while the grown-ups grew older, as grown-ups tend to do, some with grumbling, some with resignation, those not getting any youngers, and can't complain, I suppose, that grown-ups love to use. But Gom? He grew some, then stopped. But small as he was, he learned to wield an axe, for wasn't he to be Clax woodcutter one day? This everyone took for granted, even Gom himself. Until one summer morning, in his tenth year, he wandered down by the creek. 